the Laps Factor Podcast. What is up, College Across fans? You're watching the 84th episode of the Lax Factor Podcast. Today, we are going to talk about weekend previews for this weekend's games. Richmond at Duke, Hobart at Syracuse, Villanova at Delaware, Notre Dame at Maryland, Hopkins at Princeton, Penn State at Penn, Yale at UMass, Cornell at Ohio State, Air Force at Virginia, North Carolina at Denver, and Harvard at Albany. We are going to talk about all of them in a single video. It may be long, but be sure to stay here and watch it. Before I get into that, I wanted to talk about our sponsor real quick, Sideline Swap. Best place to buy and sell lacrosse gear, hard to find college gear, pre-owned heads, shafts, helmets, and more, all up to 70% off retail. Go to sidelineswap.com or click the link in the description below uh, to go check them out. They are a great establishment for sure. And then as always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell uh, to so you're notified when we put out more videos, but really just share, like, and subscribe. That's the big thing that you can do here uh, to help support us is like that, hit that like button, just Smash it like crazy. And as, as always, you can go to laxfactor.com to get yourself some swag, hats, t-shirts, coffee mugs, whatever. And uh, you can also watch our videos and listen to our audio podcast. If you're an audio podcast guy, go to anchor.fm forward slash laxfactor or anywhere else that you find your podcasts. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, you name it, we are everywhere. So let's dive into this. First game I wanted to talk about, Duke uh, hosting Richmond. Richmond. Very solid team. They play a very tough non-conference schedule these days. They were in the game against Notre Dame last weekend until that atrocity known as the third quarter happened to them. Outscored 7-2 to over that 15-minute stretch. That was the ball game for Richmond. The problem, Richmond struggled to get shots off. Lanchberry, their most consistent scorer, 2-1 and one off six shots. Connell went for a goal and an assist off five shots. Savoka, a goal off four shots. Their, their big cats didn't show, didn't get looks, didn't beat their men in one-on-one -on -one situations, but that's because they're playing Notre Dame and Notre Dame's defense is filthy. For Duke, the most consistent players on their roster so far it hasn't been Manown. It's been Owen Caputo, Dyson Williams. They've been solid over the last three games, especially Caputo eight and seven over four games. Williams eight and three over the last three games. Manown nine and three over all their games. Badur, Carpenter, Montgomery, all of these guys, all of them always solid. Where Duke struggled is off ball over their first two games, but their win over Denver. Uh, so. In their win over Denver and in their loss to Air Force, their problem was off ball. They end up giving up more assist, like over half of the, the, the goals that are scored are uh, scored assisted. And in the second, their, their final two games here, which was their win over, I forget, uh, who was it? Their loss over Penn and their win over Denver. That was it. The win over Denver and the loss over Penn. I'm kind of screwing this up here, the timeline. They handled their business off ball a little bit more effectively. Now they got beat uh, on dodges a little bit more. They had a hard time covering lacrosse players and, and keeping them from getting to the rack without feeding. But overall, I think Duke's defense is improving. And despite their defensive struggles that they've had, which they kind of always have in February anyway, every day we inch closer to March it's no longer, it's, it, you know, it's almost not February. Duke plays rough lacrosse in February, but as they get into March, they get better. And as they get into April, they get even better. So even with that pen loss, I still obviously like Duke against Richmond at home. I think Duke's the better team. I think February is almost over and Duke is about to be that solid ACC team that, that they always are. And actually, I, I don't just like Duke in this game. I like Duke to look a lot better in this game. Duke 
the line I'm setting for this, Duke's the favorite by four and a half. Now, some people are going to think that's crazy, but realistically, I think Duke could beat Richmond by six or seven, just like uh, Notre Dame did. They can run it up a little bit on them. Or Richmond can play solid on this day. Duke can play down a little bit, and, and Richmond can make a game of it. But I think that four and a half goal line, I think that's solid because I, I, I legitimately think it can go either side of that pretty equally. The next game I want to talk about, Hobart at Syracuse. Syracuse has handled their business thus far. They got a seven-goal win over Colgate, 13-goal win over Binghamton, two-goal come-from-behind win over a very good Army lacrosse team. A rise in the polls. They're now sitting at third in the media poll. Many would assume this is going to be another seven to ten goal game because who the hell is Hobart? But I say, don't front on Hobart. They're sitting at three and zero. They've got a litany of blowout wins: twenty two eight over Canisius. I know it's Canisius. Twenty six nine over Siena. Twenty one thirteen over Colgate. So they're a little bit better defensively, I think, than they were last year. And offensively, they're just as good as they were last year. These guys can light it up. Their offense can hang with anybody in the nation. Eric Holden, 14-6, Jason Knox, 15-1. These guys and their supporting cast can light it up and expect a high-scoring game in this one. But alas, Hobart's depth at midfield is where it's going to hurt them. Uh, Their defense also probably will have, even though the Syracuse attack didn't factor almost at all against Albany, that's not entirely true. Army did put a focus on trying to shut the attack down, trying not to get beat on dodges by the Syracuse attackmen. Hobart's not going to be able to do that. They're not going to be able to hang with Griffin Cook as a dodger. They're going to have a hard time. They're going to have, pretty much they're going to have a hard time. They're going to have a hard time with Scanlon off ball. They're going to have a hard time with Rafus overall. So do not expect for the Syracuse attack to be so quiet in this one. And, uh, and, and like the Army game, still look for the Syracuse midfield to win this game. As I said, it's going to be Hobart's depth at midfield and defense that's going to hurt them, but it's going to be the Syracuse midfielders that are going to win this game and look specifically for that second midfield line to start finding matchups. As Hobart's forced to go a little bit deeper into their defensive midfield, I think that that second midfield line will be the, the biggest beneficiaries of Hobart's lack of depth. So expect for the second line with Cuse of... Um, Buttermore to snipe some from outside and Quinn to get a couple of dodges and Libka to score. So look look for that second line to do well as as Hobart's forced to go a little deeper into their deep mid. Now, now the good thing is Hobart's gotten to play everybody. So in these blowout wins, everyone's gotten time. So that might help Hobart a little bit. But let's see here against a, a you know the best midfield line in the country, possibly the best two midfield lines in the country. It's going to be a whole different ballgame for Hogart, Hobart. The Cuse defense, they're certainly going to give up points in this. You're not going to be able to completely shut down Hobart's offense, but I think Cuse will win this in a shootout, uh, slowly adding to their margin, slowly but surely as the game goes on. Expect both teams to be above 13 goals, I would say. I think that they're really going to fill it up in this one. I like Cuse in like a a 19-13 game, maybe even a 19-15 game if Hobart plays well. They, they, you know, Both teams could even start approaching 20. I think this is going to be an old-school shootout, but I do say this: the, I'm setting the line at this one. Uh, Syracuse is the favorite at five points. Five goals I think is pretty reasonable, and I think that Syracuse could end up going above that or Hobart could hang a little bit and go below. But I think that if it's, if it's inside five goals, it's going to be because it's a slow-burn, high-scoring game, I believe. Next one. I want to talk about number 15, Villanova at Delaware. Now, Delaware is coming into this game at 3-1. and one. Ty Kurtz, 8-8. Eight and eight. Charlie Kitchen, 10-6. and six. Freshman Mike Robinson, 12-2. and two. Clay Miller, 5-8. and eight. These guys can rip rope for Delaware. Delaware is playing really good offensive lacrosse. But they haven't played anybody yet. They got a win over the Mount. I like the Mount. The Mount's a tough team. 
New Jersey Tech and Monmouth are who they got their wins against, and lo- they have a loss to St. Joseph's. Meanwhile, you have Villanova doing what Villanova does in February, which is playing a really tough uh, non-conference schedule and playing those teams tough. Yes, Penn State beat them by, what, nine, I think? Um, but then they played Yale. Yale beats them by seven or so. Yale gets a little bit of revenge. But those are two teams that Villanova has upset in the past and plays really tough. And also, those are the number one both of those teams have spent time now at number one in the country. So the only two losses Villanova has are two teams that are at one point have been ranked number one or are now ranked number one. Then they go and they play top five Maryland. They beat Maryland and then they beat Hofstra. So they've played ranked teams. They've got two quality wins over Maryland and Hofstra. Villanova's, you know, they're feeling pretty good. I think that Delaware is going to have a hard time with Connor Kirst, who's 10 and six, Con and Daly. They both have 10 points. Crowley and McManus each have nine. Villanova is deep offensively. They have a very experienced offense and they have a battle tested defense. Maybe their defense isn't tops in the nation, but they're, they've, they've compared comparatively, their defense has been put through the ringer playing three of the best offensive teams in the country in Penn State, Yale, and Maryland already. So I think that playing Delaware, as long as they don't take them likely and they show, I think Villanova's the better team. Villanova's the deeper team. Uh, Will Vitone and Cage, his stats don't do him justice. You figure he's played three of the best, four of the best offensive teams in the country. Even Hofstra can fill it up. And he's played admirably. I think his, his save percentage right now is 45%. Eh, doesn't look great, but look who he's played thus far. Delaware is not those teams. So I like Vitone to hang at that 50% range in this game, and I think he'll be good enough to help uh, to help Villanova get a win against Delaware. So I'm setting the line at this one. Villanova's the favorite by a point and a half. One, one and a half goal margin, I believe is fair and it should be a it should be a good game definitely worth watching a lot of a lot of people like to watch the mid-level teams play this will be one of those games this week that's definitely worth uh, tuning into next one number five Notre Dame at number seven Maryland Notre Dame two and oh Maryland three and one now Richmond struggled to get shots off and find offensive rhythm against Notre Dame because Jack Kilty was a he just he's a monster. Guy has three uh, cost turnovers, four ground balls. The Notre Dame defense we know is really 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 good. We have another Kavanaugh in the house for Notre Dame. Pat Kavanaugh, freshman, the brother of Matt. He's been Notre Dame's leading scorer thus far. He's sitting at seven and five after two games. Then we have Westland and Costabile. They're always a factor. McNamara, McMahon, Wheaton, Jacoboyce. I always, I did this last year too. I always want to say Jacoboyce because I hear guys say that, but it really looks like technically it should be Jacoby. Uh, so once someone correct me in the comments again, so I can get this straight for the rest of the season, but either way, Wheaton boy can play. And I haven't even talked about Willits yet. So I'm starting to see why I've been saying all season, why is Notre Dame being so highly regarded in these polls? And now that I've seen him play twice, okay, I get it. I don't, I still don't think they should be above Syracuse in the coaches poll, but defensively as solid, as solid as anyone offensively. Now you see there's seven, eight guys deep uh, that can, that can sting you on any given day. So I'm starting to agree with the polls and, uh, and the hype that surrounds Notre Dame, Maryland, 
can't afford to play from behind. Maryland has been the cardiac kids. They've been kind of taking over that whole Cuse mantra. They cannot do that against Notre Dame. They cannot find themselves three, four, five goals down and expect to be able to just come back against Notre Dame and uh, pull pull a win out late. Offensively, that just doesn't work. Offensive lulls at the wrong time against Notre Dame could spell disaster for the Terps. That's if you don't handle your defensive business. Notre Dame not known for lighting the world on fire offensively, but if you give up a quick three-goal stretch because you can't get your shit together, that could spell doom because it's going to be hard to chip back against Notre Dame. Maryland's at their best Oh, I don't want to skip this. Wisnowskis, Bernhardt, and DeMeo. Wisnowskis, 14 and 9. Bernhardt, 14 and 5. DeMeo, 8 and 10. Fairman, 5 and 6. Daniel Maltz, 8 and 3. He's emerging now as a threat. So Maryland has the offensive talent to not fall asleep at the wheel, um, but they've proven that at some point in every game, they fall asleep at the wheel a little bit offensively. They fall asleep at the wheel a little bit defensively. They find themselves in a hole and now they got to dig back. Do not do that against Notre Dame because their defense is scary. I think that a key for Maryland key for Notre Dame is just going to be play your game, play solid defense and play consistent offense key for Maryland. I think Maryland's best when Pugliese is getting up and down the field and living dangerous, dangerously. I think they play their best lacrosse when they're being aggressive offensively. So I think they need to put their foot on the gas and play a full four quarters because Notre Dame's defense is not going to hang with that funny shit. And they're not going to allow their offense to get a five goal lead. And then below that over the course of a fourth quarter, it's going to be a slow burn to climb back out of a, uh, any, any type of deficit with Notre Dame. With all this said, I'm kind of you kind of would almost assume I'm setting the line here for Notre Dame. I'm not. I'm picking Maryland at home by a goal and a half in this one. I think that's a pretty fair line because I think these are two very evenly matched teams that are going to, you know, just have a dogfight. Hopkins at Princeton. Princeton last beat Hopkins in 2015. They've lost to the Jays each year since. 2016 through 2018, they got beat down. It was like a seven, eight, nine goal margin every time. Last year, they only lost by two goals. But this is a Princeton team on a mission now. Coming home, uh, they're playing at home, coming off a huge win over UVA. Some people may fear kind of a trap game here. They're they're sitting at, what, 3-0? and I think I don't have their record here, but I think they are sitting at three and zero right now. They got a win over a very, very good Virginia team, and they controlled that game most of the game. Michael Sowers is playing at a really high level, so some people might fear a trap game here. Maybe Hopkins, you know, comes in and uh, and Princeton takes them lightly, and the Jays pick up a must needed win, a very, very much needed win on the road. Kind of got tongue tied there for a little bit. I posit, however that this Michael Sowers-led Princeton team, they just acquired a taste for blood, and they're looking forward to devouring their wounded enemy. Even if Joey Epstein continues to get time, he's still a shell of himself. So even if he starts to continually, slowly but surely get better, I don't think that's going to be good enough. It's not going to be good enough if if Virginia's defense couldn't hold them down uh, and hold Mike Sowers down. I don't think Hopkins' defense is going to be able to do that. Now, on any given day, any Division One team can hold somebody back, uh, or any given day, a guy like Mike Sowers can have a bad day. We saw it with Pat Spencer with Army, for instance, last year in a couple of conference games. He didn't fill it up like he had been consistently, but but Mikey Sowers is different than Spencer in that I think Mike Sowers is a little bit more cerebral. Not that Pat Spencer isn't wasn't a supremely uh, smart lacrosse player he was, but I like Michael Mike, Mikey Sowers is just built a little bit more to not get shut down. And then in terms of just playing quality opponents and putting up points, no one's better than Mike Sowers. So I look for them to to look at Notre Dame and kind of slather at the mouth a little bit, like oh yeah, we got a, We got a wounded dog here. 
even if Epstein continues to get time, I don't think it's going to be good enough. The defense just isn't going to be good enough to shut Sowers down. I think Sowers and, and co. will indeed bathe in the blood of a wounded Hopkins, and they'll deliver before the end. I think it'll be a good game, but I still, at home, over the course of the slow burn of this game, I still like Princeton by three and a half. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to see Princeton come out and put, you know, beat him by five. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to see this game go into overtime and have Hopkins win. But I think Princeton by three and a half is fair because I think that Hopkins is really that badly wounded, and I think they've just been that bad, and I think Princeton is a team on a mission, and they have to be in order to get themselves out of the Ivy, get into the Ivy tournament, and have any shot at all of uh, making the NCAA tournament. This is Mike Sauer's time to shine. It's his time to prove that he's the best player in the country. I think he does that this weekend against the Blue Jays. Next one, Penn State at Penn. Now, Yale always presents a matchup problem for Penn State. Penn State's offense, they need possessions in order to get into that flow. When you've got a wheeling and dealing offense like Penn State and you're high flying and you're take, you're driving fast and you're taking lots of chances, you need the ball. In order to do that, you need the ball in order to, to get a lot of looks and, and to make that whole machine work. TD Erlen has been Gerard Arceri's kryptonite, as I've always said, and that proved to be true again this past weekend. Now, I think Arceri and company did a better job against Erlen than I kind of expected, so that's commendable. And here, Arceri's going to be looking to fuck somebody up. I don't know. There's not a better way to say it. He's going to be an angry face-off man, and Penn does not have, I think, the chops at the face-off dot to handle him. They've done well. They've won close to 58% or so of their draws, I think, if I ran the numbers, but that's they haven't faced Arceri yet. They haven't played Yale yet. So they haven't faced top face-off talent, and, and Arceri is definitely top face-off talent. So I think that's going to be the difference in this game, mixed with the fact that Penn State's played a boatload of games. Penn hasn't yet. And even though it's at Penn, I like Penn State by three. That's where I'm setting the line on this one, Penn State by three. Both teams, I think, are going to get over 11 goals, but I think uh, Penn State's going to find offensive flow. Penn's not going to be able to endure the onslaught, and I think that it'll probably be a one- or two-goal game most of the game. Penn may even carry a lead for a while, but I think what'll happen is we get into that fourth quarter and it starts winding down. The nonstop offensive onslaught is going to eventually wear on Penn. The winning of possessions by our series is going to eventually wear on Penn, and I think you're going to see Penn State up by two, maybe score an empty netter late in the game and, and kind of pull that three-goal spread by the end of this game. Yale at UMass. Now, UMass has been up and down. UMass has a supremely offensive, a supremely talented offensive team, uh, but Army shut them down. Army's been doing a really good job of shutting down opposing teams' attackmen. That's where Army has excelled overall. They did not do that against Marist, but they've done that against Rutgers. They've done that against uh, Syracuse like in, in an insane way, and they did that against UMass. So UMass has to just make sure that they don't let Yale do to them what Army did. They have to get their attackmen involved and get these guys scoring goals. Um. But I think Yale now is is I, last year we saw the number one spot change hands a bunch early in the season. I don't think that's going to happen now. I think Yale. This is that point where Yale's going to say, "Okay, no more fuck ups. We are going to prove right now that we're the number one team in the land. That we are legit." One of the big keys to Yale's success so far has been that their question mark was at the midfield. We knew defensively they had guys coming back. We knew attack wise they were one of the best in the country. Midfield, they lost. Uh, you know, they lost talent at the midfield last year. 
and those departing standouts needed to be replaced, and we didn't know how that was going to look. Bragg so far looks great. He's a beast. Kotler's a leader. Crop's going to surprise some people. So I think the midfield for Yale has proven that, hey, we can beat some guys. We can run by some guys. We can score some goals. And then you throw that attack in, Brandau, Goddard, and Morrill. UMass hasn't seen the likes of these three guys yet, so I think all three Yale attackers are going to be at four-plus points in this game, and I don't think it's going to be close. Now, this one I was a little rough on. At some point when you're setting lines and we're trying to get these right, we've got to try to find those five, six, seven goal margins because they're all over the place on the scoreboard. I think this is legitimately going to be one of them. I think UMass is quality. I think UMass could cover the spread on this, but I expect I'm putting I'm setting the line here. Yale is a five and a half point favorite. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Yale come out and beat these guys by 10 if they win the possession battle and if TD really murks UMass and really just takes the wind out of their sails. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see UMass cover, but I think five and a half uh, is fair for this one, even though it's at UMass. Cornell at Ohio State. Cornell has been playing tough. Ohio State has been playing tough. Jack Myers, 22 points. Trey LeClaire, 17. Jackson Reed, 14. That's as good of a trio as you're going to find on any team's roster. Those three can hang with anyone. So far, the Buckeyes' defense, they've been solid enough. Not great, but good enough as long as that offense is clicking. Cornell, they've come alive offensively. They've done a much better job winning possessions between the boxes. Teat and Donville are both sitting at 14 points. Piatelli's been incredible with 13 goals, and Piatelli's been moving with the ball. I, I expected Piatelli to have a huge off-ball season. I did not expect to see Piatelli move with the ball as often as he has, especially in transition where he's taken three, four, five steps to greatness and scoring goals. It's legit. And then you got the freshman Michael Long for Cornell. He's been playing good. Eight, eight goals, four assists. Cooper Telesco, seven and two. I haven't even talked about my favorite midfielder on this roster for Cornell, Connor Fletcher. He's a guy capable of putting up a hat trick on any given day, and his feeding's improved overall. So I think this improved Cornell defense, Erlin and Cage, the fact they're doing a better job between the boxes, I think that's the difference in a game at, at, at Ohio State. So I expect like a 17-14 type game, and I expect for Cornell to be the, the winner of that contest. So I'm saying Cornell by three and a half on the road in this one. I think that's fair. Again, I think it comes down to a it'll be a close game. As you wear down, your Cornell's up by two. They put in an empty netter or two as, as Ohio State's forced to kind of come out and start beating guys up. That's where Teat is going to just beat somebody, hit a backdoor guy, something weird like that to, to make this three, four goals. So I think three and a half goal line uh, in favor of Cornell on the road is fair. All right, we're getting close, guys. Man, uh, one of the reasons we're doing it this way now Highlights are dead. Uh, the Big Ten's flagging and taking the revenue for all of even our podcasts if, if we just put in a seven-second clip of Big Ten highlights. So we're going to try to put up a lot more content and just get more into the talk radio-style crap, talk show, podcast-type crap. So we're just going to say, screw it. We're going to put together a 20-minute, 30-minute show. We're going to talk about as many games as we can, provide as much insight as we can, and that's going to be the new MO for the show. So on that note, hey, but as we're sitting here in the middle of this, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. If you've made it this far, it is going to be necessary as we move forward that you like, subscribe, and share this video with your homeboys. Go to laxfactor.com. You can get hats, t-shirts, mugs, all that crap. Let's keep going. Air Force at Virginia. UVA is going to be angry. Four-goal loss to Princeton. That probably pissed them off a little bit. Then we get a two-goal game against High Point on Tuesday. I bet you they're not. They're, everybody's happy with a win. Uh, we saw Kraus play great. 
but still two goals against high point. They would have liked to have beat high point by 10 just to, just to get, you know, revenge for last year. They're going to be looking for a groove as we start getting into March lacrosse. And this will be a March lacrosse that we're playing here, air force at Virginia. I think air force is capable of winning on any given day. They just haven't been consistent. They get a win over Duke one weekend and then they get handled by Denver the next weekend. Then they barely beat Utah and then they lose to Cleveland state. And then they play St. Bonaventure and only beat them by six. So Air Force is very inconsistent. Yes, they will play up and hang with some teams, but they're also capable of playing down and hanging with teams that maybe they shouldn't, considering they're a team that beat Duke first game of the season. So I like Air Force. I like their their chances of making this a game, but Virginia is also capable, I think, of blowing them out. I'd say UVA by four or five, but I think that the one factor here to consider is the Cavs are playing their third game over eight days. So I think Air Force will hang around. I think they could keep it interesting enough that you're not going to be able to turn it off. You're going to have to keep the game on because I think maybe just as, as Virginia gets a four-goal lead, Air Force will get it back down to two. But I think in the end... I'm set, setting a line for this one. I'm not, I say I, it's uh, me and Skatis. I got a buddy who's helping me set these lines and keeping me honest. Uh, Virginia by three and a half. I think Virginia's a three and a half point favorite here at home against Air Force. Next one, North Carolina at Denver. Carolina's offense is for real. Chris Gray is for real. Caton Johnson, very capable goaltender. He can get hot. This UNC defense is looking better and better. They're getting a little bit healthier. Um, you know, and, and they looked really good against the struggling Hopkins. I think Denver, I think they're all around better than Hopkins is right now. I think probably both offensively and defensively. But I think UNC is going to control the pace of this game. I think they're going to put pressure on Denver in a way that Denver doesn't like feeling pressure. I think that'll force them into making some mistakes on offense. I think they're going to force Denver to play a little bit faster pace than Denver may want to play. And, and it's, re, it's going to be hard because, yes, Denver's a, a, a one of those teams that they, they should be able to play gray much more tough than a you know much – I don't even know how I want to say it. They should be able to play gray tougher than some other teams that North Carolina has played so far, obviously, but you put, you know, you, you give gray extra attention and then you've got just a litany of, of Carolina uh, guys that are going to be able to sting you from outside, especially getting freed up for outside shots. You got Solomon dodging. He's going to be tough to bottle up while also giving gray a ton of attention. And then you just got all the shooters that they have all over the place. Anderson, Cook, you name it, pick your poison. So I think that that's going to be the problem. The depth of the roster of North Carolina is going to be is going to prove over the course of a 60-minute game to be too much. Once again, you see a theme here. I'm picking a lot of threes. But as I look at these games that are close down the stretch, eventually the team that's losing has to come out and double and play a little more aggressive. And where these teams are a little bit outmatched, that's where you get a lot of two, three, four goal spreads. So I like this one. I'm setting UNC. Uh, we're setting UNC as the favorite by three in this game over Denver, even though it's on the road at Denver. I think that UNC is just that good. Last game, last game to talk about today, Harvard at Albany. Albany, they're starting to look a little bit better defensively. That's their big problem. Offensively, they can score goals. They have some guys. They have some Dodgers. They have some feeders. Um, you know, uh, uh, Tohoka Nanakoke has looked better. He's looked very unselfish and willing to share the ball, and that's key for them. Harvard, I think, was going to play tough all over the field, though. I, I think that they've got that win over UMass and a loss to a 4-1 and one Holy Cross. So I think they've been a little bit more tested already than Albany. And I, I don't know why, even though this is at Albany, I like Harvard 
in this one. And I, I like Harvard by a, a, a margin a little bit. I think it'll be a battle. I think that Albany may even carry a lead for a while, but I think Harvard holds a late lead, scores an empty net and wins by two. I, I, I think Harvard's going to win this game by two. I set the line at Harvard at two and a half because I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to see Harvard come in here and beat, you know, Albany by four, maybe even five goals that I know people think that's crazy, but just the way these teams match up, I like Harvard in this one. I think that they have the advantage. I think that Albany still has to prove that they can play consistently on defense uh, for a full, cor- full full four quarters, and they haven't done that yet. So uh, we set the line for this one, Harvard by two and a half. I don't think Skatis liked that one, uh, but I think because it was a lesser game out of all of these, he didn't really fight me on it too much. So that is it. Be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell uh, so you're notified when we put out more videos. And like I said, they're killing the highlights here. So even for our podcast working highlights in, it's going to be tough. So we're just going to try to put a lot more content out, put a lot more time into preparing the content and to dive in a little bit more in depth into these games. Because when you're sitting here trying to do both, it doesn't work as well. So for the people who love the talk aspect of this and just like to listen to someone ramble about lacrosse with a little bit of knowledge it's going to be your your season here because that's what you're going to get for the guys that love watching the highlights I'm sorry but lacrosse analytics myself a lot of the people who have put highlights up and who have had you know kind of these odd agreements uh just in the sense that hey the ACC and the Big Ten may come in and take the revenue Uh, for these videos, but they never gave us crap for them. When they start to come in and take the revenue for a podcast where it's a seven-second clip in a 20-minute video, we can't have that. So for these types of videos, we're going to go a lot more graphics-based and just talk and talk and talk. And hopefully, hopefully, you all like that. So a quick word from the sponsor again, Sideline Swap. Best place to buy and sell lacrosse gear, hard-to-find college gear, pre-owned heads, shafts, helmets, and more, up to 70% off retail. List gear collecting dust in your garage, people, and Sideline Swap is going to send you a prepaid label when it sells, available uh, as an app on iOS and Android. Be sure to go to sidelineswap.com. Link is in the description below. Uh, and you can also go to laxfactor.com. Support us that way. Buy hats, T-shirts, mugs, whatever, all that good stuff. So thank you for watching. We will be back with a couple of short podcasts over the weekend and then come back for Monday and Tuesday shows where where we'll recap the games from the weekend. As always, thank you for watching. Hoost is out.